0: Hey everyone, welcome to Financial Discretion Advised. Uh, I'm Tyler Hafford, doing it a little differently uh, on this episode. You'll notice it's just me. I'm gonna kind of switch up the format uh, going forward. Gonna try to tackle some 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 things in the headlines, some current uh, events in the financial world. Uh, throw in some financial strategies, uh, you know, towards the end of the podcast, so we can. Uh, certainly help everyone uh, improve their financial pictures, do a bit of round robin of having some experts in, uh, whether they're in this firm, um, you know, advisors or portfolio managers, or finding some outside folks uh, who handle taxes or estate planning, things like that, try to get uh, the listeners some some interesting tidbits and strategies that can help them improve their financial world. But uh, let's just dive in to the first topic I have listed here, and it is the one that is taking over the headlines. It is the one that is taking over your wallet, inflation. Uh, I, I know you can't turn on TV right now uh, without, without hearing about it. Um, you certainly can't go to a grocery store and buy anything without feeling it. Uh, so let's dive into what inflation is, right? I know we've done podcasts on this. Uh, so please go back and listen to it. We had our portfolio manager on, Tim Chaplin. He is fantastic. Uh, they do a good job breaking down what inflation is. But inflation essentially is the rate in which your currency value is dropping. And, and consequently, the rate in which goods and services prices are going up. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're certainly feeling it in a ton of different places. Just some stats here. Looking at, at the end of October, food prices up 5.3%. Energy prices up 30%. Um, all kind of items across the board, we're seeing an increase of 6.2%. These are real uh, price increases that are starting to affect Americans. So why is it happening there? You know, I think we like to just find something really simple and say, all right, that's the cause of, of what's happening. Inflation right now, has a kind of a perfect storm going on, and a ton of different factors that are playing into it. So, one, we've spent a lot of money in this country. Um, I, you know, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you sit on in, on this issue. Both parties did a ton of spending. Both of the recent presidents signed spending bills to help us get out of the pandemic, right? Help rescue the economy. When we print a ton of money and put it out into circulation, inevitably the, vol- the value of that money falls, right? So that's gonna have some inflationary impacts. Now the Fed has kind of leaned on the side of, all right, we think this is gonna be a short-term thing. Transitory is the word they're using. Uh, we think inflation is gonna be transitory. The way the Fed fights inflation is raising rates. And they said, we're not gonna do that right now. Um, and you know there probably be- will be a waning from the strain of printing all that extra money now i'm not saying i subscribe to this but there is a a thought out there a a theory modern monetary theory which is saying that if you have the global currency right the the currency that the rest of the world kind of bases everything off of um and you print a ton of money and put it out in circulation and there is a, a a large demand globally for that currency and the rest of the world kind of eats it up it will help mute that inflationary impact we saw and a lot of this came out of 0809, right? We had the, the Great Recession. We did spending to get out of that. Um, and we never really had to pay the inflationary price for doing so. And there's some thought that, all right, that might be the same case here. Now, what we spent in 809 doesn't really compare to what we spent in the past couple of years. But that increase in spending is creating some type of inflationary pressures, whether you know that may be a short-term thing, it probably will be a short-term thing because of Uh, The spending. But certainly a factor in this. The next factor is one that we've all also felt if you've tried to order anything in the last year and a half, and it's the supply chain issues. Um, Essentially, what happened is we, uh, during the pandemic, uh, companies shut down factories, people weren't going to work, really kind of put uh, a log jam into our supply chain. That was already being a bit strained from things like trade wars, but certainly the pandemic really put this at the forefront. And starting these things back up isn't like putting a key in a car. You, you can't just say, all right, we we go from not producing and not shipping anything to, all right, let's go back to normal. Doesn't happen. Um, you know, this is the old supply and demand. It, I'll, you know A little bit of my background, I was a political science pre-law major before I smartened up and decided I wanted to do this for the rest of my life and, and ended up actually getting some education around it at, at BU. But I remember when I was a freshman, I had to take an elective, right? You have to take these different courses. I just picked ma- macroeconomics, uh, didn't think I was going to do anything in finance in, in my life and, and anyone listening who doesn't know what they're going to do with your life, uh, everything changes. But uh, I remember going in that class. You sit down, the professor kind of outlines, hey, you should probably come to class. Uh, he kind of goes over what homework's gonna look like. And then he turns around, he turns the screen on and it is the supply and ch- and demand chart, right? That's just where it starts. And if supply is low and demand is high, prices are up. And that's what we're seeing right now. Demand is booming from the pandemic, right? All those spending bills, essentially put money in Americans' pockets. Again, it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you sit on this, those bills did what they were supposed to do. They helped the economy through this, this time period. It helped save tons of small and mid-sized companies in the United States. And I don't want to belittle this and, and pretend like there weren't people and, and companies that didn't do well through the pandemic. That's obvious. And, and you hate to see that, that happening, but the, the economy as a whole, was able to survive enough of it because of those spending bills. But what it's done is allowed Americans to have a, a high demand for things. And right now, supply is being held up because of a, a, a number of factors. Can't find enough people to come do the job, right? There's not enough people who want to uh, or, or can or, or in that business to, to help with this, you know, supply chain. Um, I think I saw something a few months back that there's about a million more jobs than Americans uh, looking for work, Um, so that's causing problems. There's a ton of logistic problems that are are bottling up, and you know these are freak accidents that I think happen throughout time. We just never really keyed in on them. I, you know, anyone who owns a pool, I remember the summer, beginning of the summer, it was go out and get your chlorine, go get your chlorine. There's going to be a shortage, go get your chlorine. Um, that was because there was a fire at the largest plant that produces tablet chlorine in the country. I, I want to say it's Texas. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Uh, I, I think it was in the southern part of the country. And and while that probably happened before this, it's just kind of highlighting all of these little things that are happening are just compounding on this problem. Giant supply ships stuck in the Suez Canal. Uh, you know, uh, hurricanes that we've always kind of dealt with just adding to the problem, right? So as long as supply is down and demand is high, we're going to see higher prices. That piece of the puzzle, I think, is going to take us a little longer to figure out than the kind of impact of all the spending we've done with inflation. As long as that first chart you see when you go into macroeconomics, and probably in high school these days, when they're talking about uh, the economy or finances, is the supply needs to match the demand. And until that happens, we're going to see higher prices. Uh, The last, not the last thing, but another big thing that's kind of uh, compounding this inflationary problem is employee leverage. So what we're seeing right now, and and you've heard the the kind of moniker, uh, the great resignation, right? People are just leaving their jobs And and it's giving employees a lot of leverage in the employer-employee relationship, right? Employers to to attract one people to come work for them, and two good people to come work from, qualified people come work from, are raising wages. This has a compounding effect, right? Because the products that those people are producing then need to go up in price to justify or to take care of. The wage increases. So employee leverage is great. And people making more money is fantastic. But it's just another step in this inflationary process that, that's creating pressures on us. The more we have to pay folks, the more the services and the goods cost for. If we go back to what inflation is, it is the either the, the value of the money falling or the, the increase in the in the price of goods and services. So all that's going on uh What does this mean for our portfolios? I know what it means for your wallet. you know what it means for your wallet. Things are expensive right now, but what's it doing to the investments that we have, right? We have these portfolios built up. What's inflation going to do to those investments? A couple things. Diversification is so important. All of the podcasts that we've talked about investing, anyone who's talked to me, diversification is so important for lowering your risk on your investments, but it also, make sure that you're taking advantage in, in a variety of scenarios. And what you're going to see here is I, I encourage anyone to go into your, into your portfolio right now, or if you're driving, wait till you get home, take a look at it tonight. Take a look at performance by your asset classes. So what we're looking at here is stocks or equities, bonds or fixed income. How is your performance? I bet you that stock sleeve looks pretty good. Stock markets come roaring back since March of 2020. You know what's probably not looking very good? The bond section, right? It's probably not even keeping up with inflation. We see inflation running around five, five and a half percent. That bond sleeve, probably not even keeping up with that. Where's that a problem? Folks that have a traditional portfolio, stocks versus bonds, right? You have a 60, 40 portfolio, 50, 50 portfolio, what it's doing is that bond that safer side of your portfolio is not even keeping up with inflation. And, and you're thinking, all right, Tyler, what, what, what am I supposed to do here? Go all stock? No, that's extremely risky. Obviously we're building out portfolios to help minimize risk. You find your risk tolerance, where you are in your life and you help build out a portfolio. But if you're not including another asset sleeve in there, alternative assets, you're doing yourself a disservice and it, it's really paying off right now, but just for overall diversification, it's extremely important to be building out alternative assets in your portfolio. What are alternative assets? Alternative assets are things like real estate, commodities, futures, contracts, hard metals, those types of th- these real assets. When do those do well? High inflationary times. If you did build out uh, a portfolio with stocks, bonds and alternative assets, I encourage you to go back again and look at those performances by your asset class. I bet you stocks did pretty well. I did you bet you bonds really didn't do very well. And I bet you alternative assets are somewhere in the middle, giving you a nice yield for, for putting that in the portfolio. Again, diversification, diversification, diversification. It will only benefit the portfolio. And right now, anyone who took those steps prior to seeing inflation pick up, reap the benefits of it. So anytime you're sitting down, whether you're doing it yourself or you're working with a professional, alternative assets have a place in everyone's portfolio uh, or almost everyone. Uh, you know, Obviously, I don't know everyone's situation, but it, it's, uh, it's an important thing to have in the portfolio and something you really want to be considering. Next topic, crypto. Uh, I'm not the first one, again, like inflation to be talking about crypto, but I think it's important to dive into this Uh, what's going on, because it is being talked about as an inflationary hedge. So it's still in the news. Uh, You know, we've we've been tackling this since Bitcoin showed up uh, years ago. But just real simple, what is crypto? Crypto is a digital currency. Um, And I'm going to come back to that, that currency piece. But crypto is, in the crypto part of the currency, is the method that they're using to make sure that you... The money can't be counterfeited and it can't be double spent. That's really important with currency, right? It can't be counterfeited because you can't have fakes out there uh, in the market. It's going to devalue and and make the currency worthless. And you can't double spend it. So people can't be spending the same Bitcoin on two different sides of the uh, the country at the same time. So uh, crypto is taking blockchain essentially. And this is digital method to make sure that your money is staying secure, can't be double spent and it can't be counterfeited. Now, Bitcoin's recently fell in the news, and anytime it goes up quite a bit, and anytime it falls quite a bit, it makes the headlines. People love or are infatuated with this cryptocurrency craze. Anything that sees a price increase or a value increase like cryptocurrency has will make the headlines and be something people want to pay attention to. Now, inflationary hedge, the thought here is that it's going to raise in value faster than what inflation is going to do, right? And traditionally, what we looked at was gold and silver and things like that, those alternative assets to be inflationary hedges. And that's where investors would go. Well, now in today's world, people are starting to flock to cryptocurrency. We've seen big run-ups, right? So Bitcoin at the end of October, Bitcoin on the year up 87%. Gold down 7.3%, right? So There's a bit of a shift in what's happening here. The difference between those two, though, is that gold has an actual asset. Bitcoin does not. The risk lies with Bitcoin, much more than gold. Now, there's risk with gold. That's not what I'm saying. There's risk in everything. But the risk in the cryptocurrency market is high. And anytime you're seeing high returns, there's always going to be high risk, right? It's the trade-off. Are you willing to take that risk to get the higher return? My two cents on this, for whatever it's worth, and let me, let me put it this way. There's people out there with a lot more money, and I know a lot more than I do, who are big on crypto, right? You see Elon Musk talk about it. Uh, I think for a time, they're taking payments in crypto. JP Morgan comes out and says, we think crypto is better inflationary hedge than gold. Uh, there are big money managers big into crypto. Not saying that they're wrong at all. This is kind of my take on why I think the risk is still high for this currency. And I told you I'd come back to that, right? So currency is what we're trading for goods and services. My problem with crypto is that, let's say I want to buy a boat from you. You're going to sell me your boat. I'm going to pay you in Bitcoin. I'm going to give you... $10,000 $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, by the time that uh, crypto leaves my digital wallet and goes into yours, there can be so much volatility in that market that the value can drop dramatically. Let's say that 10000 by the time you received it, was only 4000 Well, I got a great deal on a boat and you got screwed. I can't understand where business can transact in this without the stability of the currency. Right. It can it can move so quickly. And we've seen this in the Bitcoin falling over the past few months or or in the past uh, past week or so. We saw huge run ups and then we saw pullbacks. Now, I understand NFL players are hitting the headlines saying I'm just taking my salary in Bitcoin. Um, I think uh, Aaron Rodgers came out and said he's going to take a portion of his in Bitcoin. Uh, Again, some companies are talking about transacting in it. To me, it can't be a widespread currency until we have that stability of it. You know the US dollar. When I give you the US dollar, by the time you get it, the value is not going to change dramatically. Bitcoin, it could. All right, on to our financial strategy portion of this. Going to try to fit these into every episode. Want to tackle something that I think can help a lot of people or something that that folks just maybe don't have a ton of education around today backdoor Ross. Now backdoor seems kind of like a, a sketchy um, uh, illegal workaround. This is a completely legal way for high earners to get into a Roth IRA. Now we've talked about Roths. We've talked about traditionals in, in previous podcasts, just going to recap it really quickly. A traditional IRA, you put your money in today, you get a tax deduction on that contribution today, it's going to grow tax deferred. And when you take the money out in retirement, you're going to be taxed at your income rates at that time. The reason why it makes sense, if you're in a high tax bracket today, you put cash in, you get your tax break when you're pulling it out. If you're in retirement, hopefully you're in a lower tax bracket, ends up working in your favor. It also works in the government's favor because you've been saving for retirement and you're not completely reliant on the social security system. Roth IRA, take the money you have today You've already paid your taxes on it. You put it into the Roth IRA. It's going to grow tax-free. And if you take it out in retirement, you don't have to worry about taxation. So paying taxes today, tax-free asset going forward. couple of the big, big things here. No required minimum distributions on a Roth IRA. There is required minimum distributions on a traditional IRA or your traditional work qualified plan. Uh, required minimum distribution is Uncle Sam coming to you and saying, all right, we gave you a tax break when you started this thing, but you're not getting it forever. We're gonna take the value of your account at the end of the year and divide it by a number associated with your age, starting at age 72. Uh, you have to take that out by December 31st of every year. So if you're listening to this right now on November, what is it, 17th, uh, and you haven't taken your requirement distributions, you're 72. I would start looking into that. You're going to want to get it out by before the year. And if you just turned 72 this year, you'll have till April 1st of next year. Anyone else over 72 going to want to take it out by December 31st. If you don't, what's left in there, uh, say you had to take a thousand out, they're going to tax you at 50%. You're going to have a 50% penalty for keeping that money in there to get it out. But uh, so you have those two different types of, of vehicles. The bummer about the Roth is that if you make too much money, they're not gonna let you use it. So uh, in 2022, they've set out new limits. If you are a single earner, if you file single uh, and your modified adjusted gross income is 144,000 or more, can't contribute into the Roth IRA. If you were married, filed jointly and your modified gross uh, adjusted gross income is over 214,000, can't contribute into the Roth. What they're doing is they're giving you this great vehicle to save for retirement. It's tax-free, but they don't want extremely rich people taking advantage of it in the same fashion that people making under those uh, income levels can can take advantage of it. So how do we get around that? Because having a tax-free asset is fantastic. It gives you flexibility in retirement. You don't care about tax increases in the future. Uh, If Congress is talking about it going up, you can absolutely, you don't have to worry about that, right? Um, if, if you are uh, looking for another avenue to set money away for retirement outside of your qualified work plan, a Roth IRA, Roth IRA is a great tool to do so. So how do, we, how do we make this happen? Since you're making too much money for the Roth, and let's say you have a, you're an active participant in your work plan, and that's key uh for for traditional ira so if you're not an active participant say you work somewhere and they don't offer you a uh work plan or you're not participating in it and the company's not putting any money into it you can then doesn't matter how much money you make you can open up a, a, a traditional ira contribute to it and get a tax deduction But let's say for this scenario you have a work plan you're contributing to it 401k putting your money in uh and you and you have a high high salary You're a single earner making $180,000, and you can't get your modified adjusted gross income under that threshold. What you can do is make a non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA. So a non-deductible contribution is just like it sounds. You put your money in after you've paid your taxes on it. You're not going to get a tax break there. You're an active participant in your work plan. You make too much money. You can't get a tax break, but you can put a non-deductible contribution into that. And you've already paid your taxes on it. Every year you can do a Roth conversion and we've done a podcast on this. So go back and listen to the podcast, but I'll just kind of highlight it. What we're doing is taking money out of that traditional IRA bucket and converting it into the Roth IRA bucket. Normally the way this happens is whatever's in the traditional IRA, you probably put in pre-tax and it's been growing tax deferred. So when you do that, you have to pay taxes on what you've moved over. It's going to be taxed as income. Uh, there's no penalty for doing it. And you can do it, uh, you, like I said, you can do it every year. And there's no income limits on that, con- on that conversion. So it doesn't matter how much money you make. But if you put a non-deductible, so let's start from scratch. You open up two accounts. You open up a traditional IRA. You open up a Roth IRA. You put the non-deductible contribution into the traditional IRA and then convert it to the Roth. You've already paid your taxes, so there's no taxes owed on it. You didn't invest it in the traditional IRA, so there's no gains to be taxed on. You've converted to the Roth, and then it starts growing tax-free for you. Now, there are some drawbacks of doing this versus just putting your money into a Roth IRA. If you put your money into a Roth IRA, and you can contribute to a Roth IRA because your income always can touch principal without taxes uh, or penalty. So, you put 10,000 in, grows to 20,000. You can always take 10,000 out uh, without penalty or taxation. Not recommending this. uh, Don't touch your retirement accounts unless you absolutely need to. It's a break glass in case of emergency thing. But you always have access to that. When you do a conversion, if you're under 59 and a half, you have to go five years before you can touch the principal without being penalized on it. They're not going to tax you. You already paid your taxes. You're not getting double taxed. They are going to hit you with a 10% penalty if you touch it within the first five years, unless you have a qualifying event, uh, which the IRS kind of lists out. And like I said, if you're over 59 and a half, that doesn't apply. But it is a little different than if you were just to directly contribute to a a Roth IRA. But what this strategy does is allows high earners to get into a Roth IRA and get some tax-free growth and have an asset down the road or that, uh, that, you're not going to have to take required minimum distributions out. So uh, a couple things here, you can recategorize IRA contributions. They'll allow you to do that. You have to fill out some paperwork. One big one here is if you're going to do a conversion, be sure you know what you're doing and you're good with it because the tax cut and jobs act in 2017 banned the strategy of recategorizing Roth uh, to traditional IRAs. So make sure that you're, you're committed to the conversion. Um, but can be a great way for high earners to get some tax free growth. That's all I got for you guys today. Please, please, please fill out uh, any comments or questions. Feel free to email me at thafford at penobscotfa.com. Go to our website, you can find my information. Uh, What I want to do every time uh, I host a podcast, hopefully, you know, once every couple of weeks, we sit down, talk about what's going on in the news, talk about one of these financial strategies, hopefully get some experts in here Uh, to bring some, some great insight and, and help. But if I'm getting enough questions, I would love to do a live question and answer, um, or at least tackle some of the things you guys have on your mind. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. Go out, enjoy Thanksgiving, get your turkeys early. I can promise you there'll be some type of shortage. All right. See you guys. The foregoing content reflects the opinions of Penobscot financial advisors and is subject to change at any time without notice. Content provided herein is for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment advice or a recommendation regarding the purchase or sale of any security. There is no guarantee that the statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Thank you.